Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to another episode of the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by my co-host. He is Jordan Watkins at Big 75. Fella, joining me a little bit earlier here because... You know, I'm I'm taking a little mini <laughs> siesta here as we record on on Monday morning. So we're as we were saying before the show, we're flying blind. We don't have the PFF, we don't have the analytics to lean on. You know, so this is going to be you know le- less nerdy than usual, perhaps. Uh, so unfortunately for for that, we're going to have to actually you know use our our tape study talk about the, you know what actually happened on the field so uh you know i i'm in a big bind there jordan because as you know we we don't you know we don't actually watch the game we just look at numbers on a page but uh other than that you know how are you doing this morning yeah you know uh, i think outside of playing madden i don't really pay attention much to football never have in my life so this will be tough but uh no things are good it's a victory monday i mean victory mondays always feel good and especially when you, when you look at the game and of course we'll talk about it more in depth in a second that was one of those games where I was already ready at least as a fan I know as a player you need your time off but as a fan I was like all right can it be next Sunday already I'm like bring on the commanders I, I, I'm juiced after that game I still am um you know the next day yeah it's it's all it's just it's it's so important to snap that losing streak because it I don't think fans realize like what we're feeling as a fan base is like a microcosm of what a team would be feeling. Like whatever emotions you feel as a fan, it's more for the players that are actually involved. Like it's more intense even for them. So if you were feeling down and depressed about the state of this team after two losses, you can only imagine what actual, what the actual players are feeling. So it's, it feels like a weight's lifted. It feels like, okay, we've bounced back. We're, we're on the right track Mm -hmm. again. Now we just got to, we got to stack dubs, you know, that that's how we do it. Um, and, and keep from, from, you know, taking a step back and, you know, we talked about it on the post game show, how things looked, the offense took a big step forward. It it was, it was good to see. Um, they overcame a lot of mistakes that that's probably still going to be a thing with this team for a while. You know, hopefully we'll have it, hopefully we'll have it sorted out by December, you know, November, December, when we're playing, hopefully those all important closeout games, uh, to, to make, make a playoff run here. But, Mm-hmm. what was important was they overcame the mistakes and um, played hard. And, and mostly we got to see Desmond Ritter uh, have his best game as a pro. Yes. So we'll get into that right off the top here, guys, before we dive in, I want to bring you a quick word from our sponsor, betonline.ag folks. Football is back and betonline is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up to the minute stats, news, scores and matchup break- breakdowns that you need. You can get the latest game odds, spreads and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news and odds. From week 1 all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. We got a game on tap against the Commanders this week, which going into the season, a little bit, you know, concerned about how that defense was was going to be, that it was going to be a very formidable defense to play. Still a strong defensive line, but the Commanders have allowed 30 plus points in each of the last four games. Uh, so that uh, is a little bit of an alarming stat. So may- maybe the Falcons offensive overs, maybe, maybe those are in play again. But mm-hmm. hey, no matter what you guys want to do, head to that website today. Uh, betonline.ag or use your mobile device to get in on the action just remember to use our promo code believe that's b l 
EAV to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, Jordan, we usually start with the defense because we like to open things on a positive note, but the defense was still very good. But I think we decided to, to open with the offense today because, you know, I don't know when the next time we'll get uh, have such a positive offensive uh, <laughs> breakdown here. But I'll let you take the lead if you want to start with Ritter, if you want to focus on the pass protection, which was definitely uh, maybe the best we've seen so far. Uh, just a, a good day overall for the offense, but particularly Ritter and, and the pass protection, I think, were the two standout units. No, absolutely. And I think I want to start, I guess, with a, a more holistic picture uh, because I know in the weeks past and maybe the way I said it or was phrased, it kind of was like, a, oh, you're saying this because you want to see Desmond do poorly. It's like, no, I, I actually don't. Um, that's just that's actually it was a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was actually a pretty big fan of Desmond Ritter when he was coming out of Cincinnati. Um, but when I was saying I would love to be able to only blame the quarterback for what's going on, what I was saying was that meant that everything else was looking a certain way. Like it usually if you have offensive struggles or struggles for any unit, you would feel much more, much better if you can only pin it on, hey, it's just one reason why this didn't look well, or this is that one reason why it doesn't do this way, do that way, you know, things like that. And when you look, when you looked at it, these, first, these last few weeks, especially play calling and play scheming wasn't very good. Pass protection wasn't very good. You had a lot of guys were running routes with two receivers in the same vicinity of each other. It's hard to be successful as a quarterback especially a young quarterback when all of those factors are around you. And so that's why I was so happy to see what was going on this week. You saw much better protection. Yeah. No sacks. I mean, either way. Um, and I, I don't even know might've been, I know there was one free blitzer that came through on, on Ritter a little earlier in the game, but besides that, I'd be surprised to see how many times he actually got touched um, by Houston's by Houston's pass rush. And you saw some different concepts, even when they ran the sprint out on the two-point conversion, which, as everybody knows me, I hate sprint out by the goal line. But, and this is something one of my friends uh, pointed out, said, yeah, but, you know, at least this time they gave him three options instead of two. Yeah. Where in the past, you've seen two options, so it doesn't really, it looks a little a little clunky. So, and it was just, there were certain differences in this game where it's like, okay, Desmond, everything around you is what you need right now. And I'm saying that even with a, a, a less than stellar run attack and also, you know, some, some penalties here and there that, that really weren't ideal. Um, but in terms of, again, the scheme, which was better pass pro, which was better. It's like, all right, Desmond, here you go. You've got the things around you. Let's see what you do. And he balled out, you know, so it was, it was just happy to see that every, all the other systems around Desmond didn't fail him or make things tougher on him today, which we have seen in the past. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great to see. Um, it, it's nice, you know. You love it when a plan comes together, and and I think one of the the nice things about this week is that it, it showed not only that Dez could bounce back and and have a very good quarterback day. He never had eclipsed three hundred yards. I think it just all started to to weigh on on the people's opinions of Ritter, where it's like oh, he's never had three hundred yards. He's never had this great passing day, you know. So maybe he's just this mediocre at best quarterback. Mm-hmm. You get you eventually you need to ha- prove that you can do that, um, and I think with this performance, he joined like three or four other Falcons quarterbacks in history who passed for over 300 yards and a touchdown and didn't take 
a sack or throw an interception. Yeah. Um, so Matt Ryan did that, you know, like six or seven times because Matt Ryan's the GOAT. Um, Mike Vick notably never did it. Um, and I think there were a couple other Falcons quarterbacks that managed it a couple t- like once. Uh, so, you know, that that's good company and good, good for Ritter to get into that category. Um, but I think obviously a lot of praise goes to Ritter for, for being able to overcome the adversity of the last couple of weeks, because the, I mean, we could feel it here. Like the, the intensity mm-hmm. of the, the criticism and the negativity surrounding Ritter was intense. Um, and again, just like we said earlier, like if you think it's intense here, it's more intense for, for Des. Like <laughs> if I'm like, Absolutely. wow, you guys need to calm down. Ritter's probably, you know, having to live in like a, a cone of silence or something for the week. Um, but uh, I think that, that he showed that, you know, he, he is able, you, you never really tune out the noise. That's always like a cliche. You, you, can't, you yeah. can't, you can't avoid it, but you know, you it's, can, there. it's always there, but you can put your head down and you can keep working and, and push through. And that's exactly what he did. So props to him. But also it wasn't just, a Ritter thing that needed to be fixed. We talked about the offensive line being a huge issue, particularly in that week three game. Um, and then the play calling just wasn't doing him any favors. And it seems like yeah. outside of still a bunch of mistakes, many of those were, were dumb. You know, we saw some uncharacteristic drop. We saw a, like a drop from Jonu Smith, who doesn't really drop the football. Um, that was a dart. Yeah, that was actually, that was a great throw. Um, and then yeah. we saw just, fumbles and i think the Bijan one was just really bad luck you know you get speared by the mm-hmm. helmet i mean there's not much people are like oh you gotta hold on i mean have you ever had that happen to you guys like that there's not really a lot you can do if they really get the helmet right on the football like that it's just it's and it just was a guy things. being yeah. pushed into the ball by another guy like you, those are just certain things you don't prepare for you can't um yeah you know it's, it's just like you said it's kind of just unfortunate yeah but I, I thought the the play calling, the protection also improved. And I think it's it's nice to see, especially from Smith. I think a lot of people think he's hard-headed and stubborn, but I think those of us that actually talk to him, he does preach that he wants to change. Like he wants to be able to shape the offense around his playmakers and his, his players and where guys are. Um, but that takes time. You know, I think everyone was expecting like, oh, he said he can, he can do this. So why hasn't he made changes in the last week? Well, it takes time to incorporate significant changes and, and to work in more plays that like, you know, training camp's not that long. It's no longer two a days. You, you, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't have the same amount of time and preparation that you, you had 10, 15, 20 years ago. So you do have to sort of go in with an abridged version of your offense to start the season. And then you sort of add more as needed. Um, and I think maybe we're finally seeing them like, okay, we needed, we need to add more quick, quick game. We need to get those quick hitters going. We need to give Des some easier stuff. So let's drill that stuff into the offense and get that going. And it's encouraging to see that executed that we know, okay, they're not just tuning it out. They're not saying like, we're not making any changes. We're, we're good. Like our scheme is fine. Everyone, everything's fine. We just need Des to play better because it's, it is multifaceted. And I think they're rewarded now with statistically one of their, their best offensive games, even though they, they didn't match the point output, from the Packers game. I think that's still the best game overall offensively, mm-hmm. but in terms of the passing game, it's definitely the best game so far. Yeah, no, yeah, without a doubt. Um, and the thing is about it, when you look at the game, you can see the score, but if you watch the game, you would see that how close they were to having this be not, not even just their best output this year. This could have been the best offensive output of the Arthur Smith regime. 
had they held on to the football. Because you think about when some of those when those fumbles happen, you know, they had drives of like 60 plus, 70 plus. I think the game winner was 50 around 56 to 58 yards. Um, they had some very long sustained drives. The John o. Smith fumble happened inside the 20. The uh, you know, the Bijan fumble that was that was still in, in minus territory, but there were certain things there where you know the the Drew Dahlman penalty took them out of field goal range that took points off the board. I mean, you really could have easily looked at a 30 plus point output by the Falcons today, and then even some other things that the offense didn't have control of. Let's just say hypothetically, Jesse Bates does come down that interception. Now you have the ball in plus territory, another chance to put points on the board. So there, even with the 21 points being scored, the, the crazy thing about it, and this is what I love, um, you know, when JT O'Sullivan does his uh, QB school um, reviews, as he did the Justin Fields one from Thursday night, and saying, like, it's crazy. Even in the good game that you had, you can turn on the tape and still see these moments where it have been like, wow, it could have even been that much better. And that yeah. I, it, it's always better to be in that territory of it versus, oh, man, that was not a good performance, but look at all the things that we left out there. Yeah. No, and, and I think that was one of the big things about the first couple of games of this season, which was like, they did win. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, we won, so we're willing to overlook some of this stuff, but they're going to have to clean up these turnover-worthy mm-hmm. plays because, like, we're, we're that's not going to – that luck's not going to hold. And then what did we see weeks three and four? Oh, turnover luck does not hold, and, and especially in week four, it's disastrous yep. and, and really cost the team the game. This week is not the case. This week it's like we, we won – while making mistakes but like we really should have it's not like we got lucky that you know they dropped interceptions or something like that it's like no no no. we dropped the interception and mm-hmm. we made these mistakes and we still won and like the second half particularly for this falcons offense they they figured out whatever the texans were doing like not necessarily on the ground until the end but like you said like they that first drive after after halftime they get the Bijan fumble after a couple yards that, you know, who knows what would have happened there. But the next drive, they drive 62 yards to the 25 where, where that Johnny Smith fumble happens. And that was looking like an absolute yeah. scoring drive. Then the yeah. touchdown, um, you know, in the, later in the third quarter. Uh, and then the two field goals after that, like they had figured out that Texans defense because it was after those two fumbles, touchdown, field goal, field goal. Uh, and, you know, even before that, like you said, the two drives before that, they were in field goal range and then they had those stupid, you know, mistakes, penalties, whatever. So like mm-hmm. basically outside of the two fumbles, their last five drives were all potential scoring drives. Yeah, uh, it was and three of them were scoring drives. So they had figured out and you just, you love to see the, the adjustments. And I think that's why this team has been so good in the second half is because they do have a staff that while they haven't quite figured out necessarily the best way to attack their opponent off the, off the break of the game, they have done a great job of looking at what's going on at halftime and adjusting. And I think that they deserve credit for that as well. No, absolutely. And and the, the thing for me too, is I know there's been this thing about Desmond Ritter's like he gets better as the game goes on, which is, which is true. But again, this is the best I've seen him from start to finish in a game. But even within that, you still saw him get a little hotter as the game went on. Like I rewatched the game again last night and Mark Schlereth, even commented on it a couple of times about how he was scanning the field 
well, first off, it helps to have time to scan the field. So that, that played a big part in it, you know, again, shout out the offensive line. Um, but there were so many times where he'd start looking left, scan all the way back across the field to the right, and then find somebody open and and just rip it. He, he had a couple of throws where it was just the, I, and, you know, I like to make my own sound effects sometimes. It was like the, you know, like it, it just had that, it had that, that extra something to it on there. Um, and some throws where he he threw guys open, threw guys to protect themselves. I know he did one for um, Matt Collins earlier in the game. He had one to Cal Pitts as well. He threw low to protect Kyle. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about he he was in the building and feeling himself. That that's what Desmond Ritter looked like to me. And again, sometimes, and, and I know it's crazy to to remember this. It's only that was only start number nine for him, uh, which. You, know, you you could look, we could potentially look back at that game, you know, a few years down the road or however this looks and say that was the game where it clicked. That yeah. that's that was the one. And so you know, now now that's the hope. But also hope. at the same time, I'm hoping that it's that's also the game where pass pro for the O line clicks. You know, that yeah. that's I want to say that for them too. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I'd, I'd hit people with the Matrix meme. You know, he's beginning to believe, right? You know, yeah. Doesn't does remember he's finally he's getting there. Um, you know, because that that's that's when you know Neo from the Matrix for because I feel like maybe I'm an old I'm an old man and some young people haven't even seen the Matrix, which is a travesty. You should go watch it. But <laughs> um, you know, it's just when he like starts like he becomes most powerful once he actually realizes and believes that oh actually i am the guy like i am the chosen one you know so ritter may be starting to finally believe in himself that self-confidence is key it's absolutely essential for an nfl quarterback so and it's it's even more impressive coming out of the dumps of the last two games to be unfazed like that and, and to go out and have your most confident performance so big props to ritter but you you mentioned the pass protection too. If if you did have another thought on Ritter, we can tackle that first. But I did yeah. want to give a shout out to those those offensive linemen too. No, absolutely. And and again, I, I really, really have to give a shout out to Storm Norton. Uh again, I, I don't think people understand how hard it is to just step right in in the middle of a game and then and have to perform against, you know, other professionals. And I mean, just to give you an analogy. People in baseball often say the hardest thing to do is to be a pinch hitter, especially later in the game, right? You're cold, haven't really done too much. Yeah, you might go down into the cage, get a couple swings here or there, but that's about it. You're not seeing any live pitching. You 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 don't know if or when your name's going to get called. Well, it's the same thing, especially for a reserve offensive lineman. I mean, if you look at a game, usually if you look at the the snap counts, the two positions where will where you'll see for sure that you know barring injury that everybody played every snap it's usually offensive line and quarterback those are the two spots so you know it's usually not a position where you're sitting there saying you know outside of maybe a heavy personnel package or something like that that you're going to get in the game but no he gets in there um and again like we said Desmond Ritter barely gets touched in pass pro and then also one of the biggest runs in the game Tyler Algier in that fourth quarter last drive is on the right side Mm -hmm. so You know, also give credit to Arthur Smith for saying, like, no, you know what? Like, we 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 trust this. We know we can make this happen. Obviously, there's an all-pro guard right there next to him. But let's run it this way and make it work. Because, you know, for the first part of when Storm Norton was in, everything was going to the left run-wise. Um, so, no, give, give him credit. Give the whole O-line credit 
in the past pro, you know, the run blocking, there's, there's a whole different conversation we could have there. Uh, but no, I mean, like I said, give credit to him, give credit for the online and, and pass pro because I mean, again, with, without time. And we talked about the stats in terms of, uh, you know, in the four games last year, how long Desmond Ritter had in the pocket before he was, before pressure came versus what it was looking like this year. And, you know, this game, at least so far, is the outlier. Let's see if we can make it the norm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, Toledo legend Storm Norton, by the way. Uh, yeah. You know. <laughs> and it's now the, now the Falcons somehow have acquired like two of the players that I watched play when I was briefly uh, around the University of Toledo for a few years back in the early days of, of my time. There we go. Alcoholic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's funny now. We got Logan Woodside, too, from that same team. Um, that's right. I think it, that, that's how we unlock Storm Norton. You just got to get him and, and Woodside <laughs> back together. But um, that's it. Yep, that was the secret all along. But yeah, I mean, Norton always a guy that was known as a good run blocker. But I think people, you know, had rightly so harshly criticized his pass protection when he had to start basically an entire season for the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Um, but he comes in um, and actually ends up playing, I think, almost 50% of the snaps, maybe more than 50% of the snaps. I didn't realize how early, uh, how early Caleb McGarry did yeah. go out in this game. Um, so, you know, good for Storm Norton and, and hopefully that can continue because we don't know how long we're going to be without Caleb McGarry. We haven't really heard any news on that front. So the hope obviously is that McGarry is ready to return soon. But, uh, if Storm Norton could play like this, then, then we'll be able to weather the storm. Um, and this is really the first test of the Falcons depth on the offensive line. Um, weather the storm. Yep. Exactly. You like that? Yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah, uh, it just just worked that in. As you see, it was so casual. Uh, so, somebody was, yeah. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't gonna let it slip past me though. I, good, I good. Let thank you, thank you for appreciating that one. But um, yeah, pass pass pro was good all around. Um, you know, I think you you critique Drew Dahlman with with some mistakes, and then we could get into the run blocking being a problem. But this this offensive line, the problem has been that it's just been super hot and cold, which was not the case at all last year. They were pretty much lights out running the football every game last year. You know, you realize that they got a new rookie left guard in there. Maybe that's mm-hmm. taking some time to incorporate. But, you know, it was just puzzling that that Jake Matthews is struggling so much as a run blocker. Um, that just not really has ever been – that's not really ever been a problem for him, but he was really having his issues in this game. And um, at least the pass protection held up. Uh, and, and that that was good. But – we, you know, just an uncharacteristically poor game from the offensive line as as run blockers. When you know that was that's always been sort of known as like no matter what we could fall back on these guys blocking up the run well. Yeah, yeah, and again, uh, give credit to Houston for their game plan. Um, you know, especially Will Anderson, Jonathan Grenard, those two were phenomenal in setting edges and not really letting the Falcons get outside very often. I mean, you want to talk about pushing back and knocking back our, our offensive tackles. I mean, they did it consistently. It was, it was, you know, as a, as a former D lineman, it was, I know I'm going for the Falcons and I want the Falcons to do well, but just appreciating good D line play and good, you know, front seven play. They, it was a a thing of beauty of what they were doing. Um, So I, you know, I want to give them that. It's just so hard for any offense any running attack that if your offensive, if your line of scrimmage is consistently being reset, you know, a yard, two yards, 
maybe sometimes even three yards in the backfield, you, you better have something very, very special to make things work in the backfield. Now, of course, the Falcons do and Bajan Robinson, but even then, you, you see how hard it was for him. I, I know we're so used and accustomed to already him making a couple people miss in such a small uh, area of space, but I mean, there's, there was just nowhere to go. I mean, yeah. even in the middle, you know, the, the Texans, some of the D tackles too did a good job of really reestablishing and resetting the line of scrimmage. So, um, but the thing is, again, if you, if anyone has watched the 49ers play the last couple of years, because again, that's where D'Amico came from as a DC, they played like, in terms of the the edge and the attitude, that's the same type of attitude San Francisco played with, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's the same type of guys because I think there are a couple more all pro caliber players on San Francisco, right? I think we saw that maybe a, bit a few in the, in the yeah. game. Yeah, I think we saw that a bit in the game last <laughs> night too. But um, but in terms of the attitude and energy, you can definitely see it. I think that's a big reason too why it was so important they brought um, Jimmy Ward over too. I know he had a lot of things to say uh, before the game, but he all, but at least on the field, right? He knows what that energy is like. He knows what that 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 kind of edge is like since he was actually the one out there doing it. So that was so important to establish into that culture. But no, you you saw the way they were playing. They were playing mean and nasty. Um, but again, that's how D'Amico Ryan's led defenses play. So. I want to give them as much credit as I do want to give blame for the Falcons O-line. And, of course, with Drew Dahlman, I know everyone has a lot to say about the penalty. Um, in terms of it being late, yes, it was late. Like, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, gonna say anything it's opposite pretty late of that. Yet. <laughs> yeah, but that's also, I mean, I'd be lying to myself if I said that's not an O-lineman thing. If you're standing around a pile, you better be ready because they're an O-lineman. They're going to try to find a hit on you. What I didn't like the most about the play is that well two things one it got you at field goal range that's most importantly but two there's nothing good that's going to happen on a play if you can't see somebody's face then i say that whether you're a blocker if you are on defense anything like uh toa toa was his back was towards where drew was so yeah if you hit him in that situation there's literally nothing good that yeah. can happen out of that was blocking yeah. the back and that's their roughness, like any, any combination, if you will. Uh, so that, that was like, those were the two biggest issues for me with that play. Yeah. I, I you could tell they were frustrated about not getting the push yeah. there. And again, it, it, D'Amico Ryan's deserves a ton of credit and the Texans defense deserves a lot of credit too. I mean, they're way ahead of where anyone thought they would be at this point, both on offense and defense. And mm-hmm. they're going to absolutely have a shot in the AFC South because, you know, the Jaguars obviously are playing better. They just beat the Bills. Um, they better play in but, London every game. Yeah, that, that's their secret. Like, you know, Falcons have to be at home every game. London, uh, mm-hmm. Jaguars have to be in London every game. But, you know, they'll they'll have an opportunity to challenge there um, for that division just because of, of how well C.J. Stroud and, and that defense are playing. Um, and again, we talked about it. Like, they had blown out their previous two opponents going into this game, and, and people yeah. had never been more confident in, in Houston over the last, like, three or four years. So um, I think their fans rightly expected to win this game, and I think their defense mm-hmm. absolutely rose to the challenge of doing what I think they, they believed would be the key to the game, which is to shut down the Falcons' rushing attack. And they didn't, like, shut it down. The Falcons still put up over 100 yards on the ground. It, it was not efficient. 
<laughs> right. That's for damn sure. They did really good, though, at limiting it, especially until about, you know, the last couple drives of the game. But they just weren't, they weren't prepared for this, the wrinkles they threw into the passing game. And then, you know, it doesn't help when their their starting three corners are, are out. But, you know, they I think they bottled up the run well. Um, and then the Falcons were just able to take advantage of that lean towards the run game and actually make a, t- a defense pay for, for that finally, like we've been waiting for. Yeah. And that, and that's the thing, like you said, you got to make a defense pay. You can only play against who's out there on the field against you, because I know even going into this next week and I know they had, they'll have what 10 days off uh, up until when we play them, but I already know commanders fans are freaking out of, Oh my goodness. Who's Emmanuel Forbes going to guard. You know, he had a tough day and he's not the biggest corner. And as we know, there's a lot of size for the Falcons on the outside. So they're already freaking out about that. But again, let, if, if the Falcons continue this on and do what they do, if you throw a 50-50 ball to Drake London to start off the fourth quarter um, against Emmanuel Forbes, I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, well, he only threw it against Emmanuel Forbes, so it doesn't really count. Like, no, it still counts. It's the NFL. Like, there, there's no – you don't have – outside of power rankings, you don't have a top 25 that – you go up or down based on how. Oh yeah, it. this win doesn't you count. Win, you yeah. don't. Yeah, yeah. It, we're it taking you out of the playoff. You, you don't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like you don't. You don't have to worry about that. So, um, and I mean, if you look at it too, it's you had a couple of teams. I mean, we've seen a couple of good corners on the outside these first few weeks. Um, you know, Jair Alexander, obviously of note with um. With, with Green Bay, yeah, J.C. Horn for, for most of the game against Carolina for he got hurt. Um, and, you know, there are a couple of others in there as well. But for the most part, it's just like, I mean, I'll, I'll, actually, I'll put it the other way. Let's go back to last year. Falcons play Cincinnati. You think the Bengals are saying, well, you only play Cornell Armstrong and A.J. Terrell wasn't healthy the whole game. So those numbers don't matter. The wind doesn't really count. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> You know, it yeah. just it just doesn't. So um as we could very well be here the opposite way, say, man, they didn't have their three corners and we still couldn't put a good game plan together or make things yep. work in the past game. Yeah, exactly. So you just you can only play the opponent that's in front of you, like you said. And, and yeah, um you know, enough of the nitpicking. If the Falcons put up like forty points on the Texans secondary, you'd be like, Okay, maybe they just embarrassed some reserve corners. But I didn't think that they were really like like i don't think those guys played poorly like i think the 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 depth depth guys they had in there were playing solid football it wasn't like they were out of position or just getting dusted on every play um the falcons were just making the plays they needed to so i I think again props to D'Amico ryan's he has that defense playing at a very high level with i think an overall talent disadvantage a lot like you know i think that defense is kind of like the falcons defense this year where they insert a few veterans um, that we know that they're are familiar with the scheme and then they get mm-hmm. some young guys in there to really take the to thing over the top. And, and they're definitely doing that. So props to that defense um, and, and to the Texans as a whole, I think that's a fun team. Um, and their, their fans yeah. certainly deserve that after a lot, many years of just depression uh, surrounding that franchise. So good. We can that. relate. Yes, we can definitely relate. So good. Best of luck to you Texans going forward now that this <laughs> game is over. Um, but We'd be remiss if we didn't praise the defense some more, the Falcons' yes. defense, because once again, they they bring this thing home. I mean, the offense gets the headlines, especially at the end of this one. Um, but if, if not for the defense, they bailed the offense out over 
and over and mm-hmm. over and over and over and over again. They just continued to to bail out mistakes. Um, and they just it was it was it was workmanlike, you know, just like oh, all right, we fumbled again inside the twenty. All right, guys, let's go. You know, we got this. Uh, just just casually, just to stuff them. You know, oh, field goal, like f- four field goals. Uh, the for the Falcons. Yeah. Um, you know, on, on on drives where you know some of these field goals that that Houston's getting down into very much plus territory, or they're starting with the ball. You know, I think uh, the first drive of the game. Houston starts on the 47 uh, of Atlanta, held them to a field goal. Mm-hmm. Or the second drive of the game, the first drive for the Texans. You know, they, they start on the eight, the Atlanta 30 after that Bijan fumble, uh, hold them to a field goal, just six net yards allowed. You know, it's just, it's like they just kept finding ways to, to keep this close. Uh, and then, you know, aside from that 75 yard touchdown drive, uh, they force a whopping six punts on the mm-hmm. day, uh, including three, three and outs. So just so impressive what they're doing. Um, just really, really proud of, of that unit for, for again, last couple of weeks, offense has been letting them down. And then finally the offense was there for them at the end of this one, but wouldn't have been the case if not for their strong play throughout this game. No, without a doubt. And I think the thing for me, I'm just looking kind of at the drive summaries, right. Of, uh, of what was going on. And so many times I'm, I'm looking at this where it's for the Falcons, you know, if you start off the game, three and out. Okay. Boom. So here comes the defense on the field. Uh, later in the game, there's a four play drive for the offense. Okay. Here comes the defense. You hold them to a field goal right after the Texans field goal, three, three and out punt. Boom. You force them to punt another punt for the Falcons after seven plays force a punt by the Texans, you know, so even when there were, some sudden changes going on out there. The Falcons still found a way to to have that energy to to stand up and not you know let that turnover or sudden change turn from a not even a three to a six. Maybe it was a zero to a six, right? And I think that was what was so impressive because I think in years past, what we had seen, and this is from a talent perspective, but also a depth perspective, where the defense just wore out over time of being on the field of the offense couldn't get it together because you, you just didn't have the bodies. Well, now it feels like you, you do. I mean, we talked about the D line rotation up front. We've talked about the, the number of corners that they have on the back end. I mean, you know, even if you need to bring in DeMarco Helms, you can do it now. Um, and, you know, things of that nature. So just overall, you can feel the the difference in the situation where this defense is. And at the end of the day, just like you saw, and I, I know I talked about D'Amico Ryans and his energy and passion and how that plays onto the field for the Texans defense. You can see how the energy and passion of Ryan Nielsen plays out into this Falcons defense. Um, there was a one play. It was, I think, is either late third or early fourth. I can't remember fully right now. Uh, they try to run a screen. Houston did on third down. Falcons are all over it. CJ Stroud's over by the Falcon sideline, throws it away. Ryan Nielsen is jumping up and down, yeah. hitting every helmet he could possibly find, you know. And but like as a player, you love that. Yeah. You know, like, you, you you love it. And you really do, you really do feed off of it. I know everyone always talks about feeding off the crowd, and rightfully so. That is a big thing, especially when you're at home. 
But when you can also feed off the energy of your coaches and coordinators in a way like that, oh my goodness, like that, it, it does, it does wonders. It really does wonders. It does. And yeah, I'm trying to figure out what's more important. Like we talked about it, like this defense is getting pressure at a high level, but they're not getting sacks and, and sacks are, are, dra- are drive killers. Like I think on drive yeah. where there's a sack, I think the chances of scoring on a drive with a sack are just plummet. Not impossible, Absolutely. obviously, but they plummet. Um, and this defense is is getting it done and are legitimately a, a now a top seven passing offense, playing now several of the better passing games in the NFL. Uh, we've seen them now play against the Lions, who arguably have a top five or better passing offense overall. We yep. saw them play against the Texans, who coming into this game had one of the NFL's most consistent passing offenses. Um, even the Jaguars who have had some scuffles here and there again are, are one of the NFL's better passing offenses. So this is not, you know, they played the Panthers in week one and that's, you know, skewing the stats. It's like, no, no, like they are legitimately playing some great passing offenses and they're, they're shutting them down without the sacks. Um, and I think the sacks are going to come, you know, I think it's, you look at statistically, you would expect this team to have 10 sacks at this point, given their pressure rate and, and situations and stuff like that. They've only got five. Um, I, I tend to think that's probably, I mean, some of it's probably this defense and, and what's going on. Some of it's some bad luck though. And I think you, you, you're going to see some more sacks coming, but it just, it, it really brings home just how good the coverage is that yeah, like they're not, the sacks aren't coming, but it's not a problem. It's like, Nope, that's fine. We'll just shut down on the back end and make them throw it away with the pressure. Um, and, and they, these guys deserve so much credit for that. I mean, Jeff Akuda has come back and he got hit with that hold that I think was really weak. Um, I think that was a clean textbook coverage by Akuda there, uh, does give up that look like there's a miscommunication on the coverage on that Damian Pierce catch. But again, letting, letting the, the running back break free out of the backfield for like a 10 yard crosser, not the worst thing in and the then world. he rally and make a tackle yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. not, not the worst exactly. thing in the world to let that route go uh as opposed to some other ones but just even richie grant i thought has has had two of his better games in back-to-back weeks now um he's getting a little bit more aggressive and decisive and then of course we'd be remiss if we didn't shout out uh probably the the player of the game and d alford who was just everywhere yes um and yes. He, only, he only played 62 percent of the snaps but it, it felt like he was involved in like every play um so it was everywhere yeah, absolutely great game by the secondary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, D. Alford was everywhere. We talked about this in the recap show yesterday in terms of, again, if the league is so pass-happy now, which means you're going to be in a lot of nickel and dime packages. But now, because you do that, what teams finally figured out on offense is, well, that means you're going to be light, so we're going to run the ball which means you need to have some DBs that are not afraid to stop the run. And D Alford, the way he was shooting out of a cannon to be in the backfield and disrupt stuff in the, in the run game. Then you also see him making plays, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards down the field in the past game. It was, it was awesome to see. And again, if, if you know a story from being a CFL guy, CFL tryout guys two years ago to what he's doing now, I mean, it was just awesome to so, so good and, and fulfilling even for me to watch to see his, how his stories played out. Um, and again, the thing for me, and I'm so happy about the secondary is you did not have any missed assignments or blown coverages that led to an easy touchdown. 
You saw that two weeks in a row. You wanted to get it off tape. I know people are going to say, well, what about the last touchdown? That wasn't a blown coverage. Jesse Bates got beat. He got a little too greedy on the inside move. Good route by Dalton Schultz, Stanford. And, you know, that's when he took, he uh, stemmed it back up field and got the touchdown. So good route, got him to bite. It was a touchdown, but that wasn't a, a blown coverage. No, no. Per he, se. he gambled. Um, he, he thought. Yeah, he gambled. He, he, he was gambled. trying to jump the inside move and get the pick. Exactly. Um, and if exactly. he was right, the game's over. So you know. Yeah. So that. So, but again, the fact that you got that big one play that was on tape two weeks in a row, you got that out was was really good to see. And again, you see how important that was because again, like we we keep talking about this and. Again, my whole point was the way the defense have been playing this whole year, if your magic number for the offense is get to 20. So if you get to 20, you're going to put yourself in a good position to win games with how this defense is playing. And, well, shocker, they only needed 20 points to win this game, right? But, yeah. uh, again, just looking back at it. So let's see, Jacksonville, you gave up 16 points on defense, right? You take away the big play on the mis-blown uh, assignment, that's actually nine points against Jacksonville. Uh, Detroit, you gave up 20. You take away the blown coverage of Sam Laporta goes down the right side. That's only 13 points to a very good offense, like you mentioned, Kevin. So the fact that they could get that off the tape, make things that much harder for opponents to to um, to find the end zone, really good job by them. I mean, just a really, really good, strong game from the defense overall. Yeah, you got to give them their props. And um, I, I, like you said, like this year, the magic number might be 20. Last year, it yeah. was like 25. And that's that's very <laughs> exactly. different. It doesn't sound yeah. like a lot necessarily to people, but like 20 points would be like the 22nd ranked uh, like offense, 21st. So we'll say 20th just to make it easy. Mm-hmm. That would be like the 20th ranked offense. This That's very attainable for this team. I, I don't think they're, Ooh. I think they're going to end up being better than that by the time the dust clears. 25 is 10. <laughs> and Maybe they could get there by the time the year is over, but like that's a yeah. much taller task on a weekly basis than twenty. So, I, I think with the defense playing this well, it, it's so much easier for this offense. They don't really have to force it. They can they can take their time. They can grind it out. They can afford to to be a little bit more cautious potentially, but they can also just afford to figure things out. And they don't have to panic if they if they allow some points or or if they're having a slow right. start to the game. They don't need to panic because they know they can rely on the offense and um, on the defense. And I, I think that's been a, a great development this year. I've been really impressed with those guys and we'd be remiss if we didn't shout out Nate Lamon once again uh, for his play, you know, that, that duo with him and Caden Ellis, it, you worry, you worried, obviously like, okay, Troy Anderson, Troy Anderson wasn't playing the cleanest first few, first few games of the season, but you could see the flashes and especially in, in week three, before he got hurt, I think he was having his best, game um and obviously there's worry there it's like okay we saw Nate Lamman have a great game in week two but like is that a flash in the pan or, or what does this guy got and I think we can see now that no like this he's actually a great fit for this scheme he he slots right in next to Caden Ellis um they haven't really missed a beat so that's very fortunate and obviously we talked about his story a lot and we, we can't help but keep mentioning it but just yeah so happy to see him bounce back and and have a productive NFL career now well, the thing for me too is, and and I know this has been a, a a topic too of like, oh, he's better than Troy and things like that. People have to remember, this is Troy's what second year of fully just being a linebacker. Remember in college, he played all over the place. 
Yeah. Uh, Nate Lamon has always been a linebacker. So I would hope, right, for Nate Lamon's sake that at least when it comes to processing and the feel and how to read certain uh, formations in place, that he is a little a, a step above Troy Anderson right now. That was another part of this year for Troy and why it was such a bummer that he had this injury is because now some more of those reps of being a true linebacker have been taken away from him, right? So, um, but no, give credit again to Nate because if you were, if, if coming into the season, if people were to give their spot of, Oh boy, if somebody goes down here, we don't have the depth to 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 make up for it. You know, middle linebacker was one of those positions, right? Mm-hmm. I think you could probably put receiver up there too, um, to go with a couple others, but middle linebacker, that was like the spot. It's like, oh man, if Caden or Troy goes down, I don't know what's gonna happen. Well, now we're seeing what's happened. Nate Lamon is doing exactly just fine. Um, and so I can't emphasize enough to for people because I know this is supposed to be mostly about the trenches, but I can't explain and emphasize enough how how important it is to have good middle linebackers, how important that yeah. is for the guys up front. That's like, critical. You can, exactly, you can be wrong sometimes up front, but if you have the right linebackers, they'll still make you right. And and when I say that in terms of if you get out of a gap, you know, you, you, um, you guess wrong, anything like that, those linebackers that are good enough, they're smart enough, they'll still find a way to make you right. And, and they'll get into the gap that you were supposed to be in. Now they might, they might get on you after that play. And then, you know, it might not be a fun talk in the huddle and it's more so of a one-sided talk, but at least for the play, they'll make you right. The, you know, the potential yards that could be gained, will be minimized. And that's what someone like Nate Lamman can do. So, I mean, like I said, yeah. I, I just, like you said, it's just so hard to not talk about him and, and the work that he's been doing. So, yeah. I got to remind people because I think people are like, oh, Troy's not as good as this UDFA. Like, no, people, you need to remember, like, Nate Lamon before his injury was on pace for getting drafted ahead of Troy Anderson uh, or or even being a late first rounder. You know, you look at 2018, 104 tackles, 15 tackles for loss, four sacks, two interceptions. Good stuff. He was a dude. Yeah. He was uh, a dude. 2019, 113 tackles, eight tackles for loss, two sacks, one interception. And then in 2020, which is when he gets hurt, Plays yeah. five games. In five games, 53 tackles, nine tackles for loss, and four sacks. In five games! Mm-hmm. Before, mm-hmm. unfortunately, that, that debilitating injury, he comes back the next year. Still productive, but just 63 tackles and six tackles for loss that season. And that caused him to go, undra- you know, go undrafted because he just didn't look like the same player. Um, yeah. And it, it seems like he's finally getting back there, but it was never a question of, does he have the instincts? Does he have the playmaking ability? Like he's going to be in the right place, but is he athletic enough for the NFL after the injury, I think was the concern. And at this point now, I think three, two years removed from, from the injury, three years removed, uh, looks like he's finally confident again. And he's got that athleticism and just, just right. happy for him. He deserves it. So, um, but yeah, we should before we get out of here. Got to mention the defensive line once again. Doing doing Yeoman's work out there. Uh, that that Onyemata Grady Jarrett pairing is so good. Uh, had a little bit of a scare with Clayus Campbell there. It seems like he's fine. He was cleared to return. They they did not elect to put him back in the game, but he was cleared, um, which is good to see. He was playing. You know, it's funny. We look back to Week One where he had like two missed tackles, and everyone were like, "Oh, is he washed?" I was like, "No, no. Like, <laughs> trust me, folks. Like, this is he's gonna be fine." And 
immediately back to being this elite run defender. And you can see he just doesn't quite have the juice to chase down quarterbacks on the yeah. outside anymore. Um, <laughs> and and that's probably why, like, if this was like Clayus Campbell of like two or three years ago, we'd probably have three or four more sacks now from him just devouring quarterbacks out there. But still a really sound player as a pass rusher who's going to put pressure on and still an absolutely elite run defender on the outside. It was pretty funny. There was one play, uh, CJ Stroud, he ended up scrambling out to the right side. But Calais did a great inside move, a little hump move. And like you said, in years past, it's like, all right, here we go. Here come those Jets. So where's that acceleration yeah. to get there? And it just couldn't happen. Um, you got that old man speed was, now. Yeah, yeah it was, it was that, that old man. <laughs> it's just it's that, that burst just isn't there anymore. Uh, but no, it's like you said. I mean, give credit to, to Calais to Grady, David Onyemata, um, Lorenzo Carter flashed a couple times in this game too in the run game. Also another one, shout out Bud Dupree. Yeah, who yeah. I know it wasn't the happiest Saturday for him with what Georgia did to Kentucky, but I mean, he showed up once again in the run game, doing a good job on the outside. I know they did a couple of inside games and stunts with him. He beats the tackle, makes the run, outside runs bubble some more. Um I mean, look, if we were talking about just trying to stop the run, we might be looking at the best defensive line in football. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and again, it's, it's just one of those things of when you talk about the run fits and proper run fits, there are so many times where I can take a picture of what the Falcons front is doing. And it, it, I would put it in a textbook in terms of definition of this is how it's supposed to look up front when you're stopping the run. Like that, that's, that's, and they do it consistently, which is really awesome to see. Uh, in terms of the pass rush, you know, it's, it's going to be one of those things where, you know, obviously we would hope that the secondary continues to make quarterbacks hold the ball. I think that's our best chance right now to really generate some sack numbers unless, you know, Nielsen wants to dollop some more blitzes. Uh, outside of that, you're just going to have to see a lot of line gains and stunts being run up front. Or, you know, let's let's just keep an eye on what Minnesota's doing. Yep. Uh, you know, they, they lost, they that. lost again. So yep. about to have that but, conversation. You know, I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, We're just asking questions <laughs> on this podcast. That's yeah, you might as, yeah. you might as well, might as well. Yeah. I mean, look, Daniel Hunter. Um, I don't know why I thought Daniel Hunter was 30. He's, he's hey. about to, he's about to turn 29. Um, Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. I, I thought he was 30 for some reason. I did too. About to turn 31. So I don't know where I got that from. Um, But look, like, Minnesota is now one and four. Probably Justin Jefferson might be hurt. They've if, if not for that Carolina game that they almost lost, um, mm-hmm. you know, they they'd be zero and five. Uh, I I and Justin Jefferson has a hamstring injury that could keep him out yep. multiple weeks. So that if if they lose another game or two, Terry Fontenot better be just blowing up their phones. Because uh, guess how many sacks Daniel Hunter has right now in twenty twenty three. I think he has, what, four or five, right? He has more than the Falcons. He has six. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, I'm just saying, folks, like, yeah. So, if the Falcons keep winning, uh, and, and they're very much in play for this division, like, they, they should absolutely make this move. Because 1,000%. S- send, a day three, send a day two pick. You're, you're, you're going to have two seconds or two thirds plus your regular. So, you're going to have those. You're going to have that extra day two pick. And who knows what that Ridley pick is going to be? Yeah, it's going to be either a third or a second. Yeah, one of the two at this point. Um, so whatever it takes. Like, I, 
if you you can I think you could probably get it done for the third, but if you have to give up the second, it's Daniel Hunter. Like he's a, he's as trustworthy as they come as an edge rusher. Yes, he has a little bit of an injury history, but clearly he's healthy at this point. And and that's you know that's that's all you can go off of when you're making this sort of move. Yeah. Um. And like the earlier the better, the more you can get him. Yes. Um, yes. Out there. So. I, but that's really, I think, the only thing. Which going into the season, I think we were like, well, they could use this, they could use that, whatever. Now it's like, well, they just really need that one premier edge rusher, and I think they got this. And you add Daniel Hunter to this defense, and you get a first round edge in this upcoming draft. Hopefully, you know, Jared Verse falling down boards a little bit. You know, maybe uh, in the in the late teens, early twenties, get some Jared Verse action or whoever. I mean, this is a good edge class. Uh, yeah. So then it's like, oh, now we're cooking. You know. Now, mm-hmm. now we now we get really got something here. So I think I think that's like the the last infinity stone for this defense. They get a guy like Daniel Hunter in here. So and I don't know I about you, but I I'd rather have Hunter than than Chase Young at at this stage. Not not no slight to Chase Young, but Daniel Hunter I think has been much more consistent, even though he's a little bit older. No, that, that's fair. And, I, and the thing for me with Chase Young and it's well, look, we see it on on the offensive side of the ball for us. Even with the game Cal Pitts had, it was a good game. It was a better game. That right leg, he's, he's still, whether it's just the comfort in it, the trust in it, whatever the case may be, still not there. And, you know, trust me, I was on board of in the offseason of, hey, let's see if you can get Chase Young just because of not only do I think he, he had the chance to be a good player, but it was also the fact of, well, because of the injury history, you might be able to get him for cheap so you can bring him in and, and you know, Let's see how well the knee is. But I think at this point in time, and to your point, Kevin, it's you you need something as close to, if not a for sure thing, uh, in terms of that edge pass rush, because that's 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 the one, like you said, it's the one missing piece right now from really saying from this unit being a top, a top what let's say what 10 to 7 unit to now saying, you know, potentially seven to four. Right. So um, you, you, if you can have a chance to go get a surefire thing, you got to do it now. And, and like I said, because of how the career is, whether it was injuries or consistency, and I know injuries have played a part into that. Um, it's, it's gotta be Daniel Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's where they're going to look because I think also, I mean, Chase Young obviously fits too, in terms of what Nielsen likes, but I think Daniel Hunter, yeah. that, that is what he wants. Like he wants that big that big edge rusher. That's exactly what Daniel Hunter is. Great length, six five, two sixty three. This is this is exactly the type. So this is why we're talking about. It. It's not just like, oh, we need a good pass rusher. Just pick one out yeah. of the hat. It's like, no, no. This is the actual scheme fit guy that they want. Um, so we'll see what develops. But I, I, I think, I think that that he would be the one I would put my my chips on if I was gonna bet on something that absurd. Um, with that high of odds, probably if that's even something that they would offer. Uh, but. You know, Daniel Hunter next team, Atlanta Falcons. I wonder what the odds are on that. Somebody bet, bet online, <laughs> send me the flyer on that one. But, there you um, go. There you go. Get that plug in there. Um, but uh, yeah, lot, lots to talk about. If the, if the team keeps winning, the cha- the more games they win, the higher the chance of a trade like that happening. Um, if they're sort of languishing, you know, 500 or, or lower, probably not going to send out the assets for, for a guy like Hunter. But uh if they're really in the mix, especially in the next couple of weeks and the Vikings keep losing, then then the heat's going to get turned up on that, on the, the intensity yeah. of that potentially being a thing. Um, and I'd love yeah. it. That, that would be a home run. So, 
Yeah, because, I mean, the way it looks like right now, and, of course, since it's only week five, I know a lot of these teams are clumped right there together. But at least for right now, there are eight teams, I believe, ahead of the Vikings in terms of – and that's just a wild card. I'm not even talking about the four division leaders. So that's a lot of – not only is a lot of ground, there's a lot of teams that you have to jump in there too. So it's like you said, we have to see what happens. And, again, obviously I, I not nor are you, Kevin. I know you aren't. We're not hoping and wishing that someone is going to be hurt. But obviously, like, it's no surprise if Justin Jefferson's out, that offense is very severely compromised, especially with now, you know, the run game's going to not be as good without Dalvin Cook there anymore. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for that team. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them struggle depending on how that hamstring of Justin Jefferson is. And if that's the case, well, it's like you said, you know, how, how what is the point? For the Vikings with, you know, you already have Justin Jefferson, who's still, he's not re-signed yet. They don't have an extension for him. Kirk Cousins, uh, pending free agent. So, you know, how, like, what is the mark for them? Especially when I'm sure in that building, they came into this year thinking NFC North repeat, um, or at least contend for it. Uh, so, so what is the point where it's like, okay, this isn't working. We got to, we got to punt and just try to, you know, re- try to build this up some kind of different way yeah yeah and their next three they're at the bears so they got a shot in that one yeah um, but we did just see the bears poop on the uh the commanders so you know who knows with the bears anymore but then they gotta right. go then they gotta play the 49ers yeah have fun with that yeah and then they gotta go to green <laughs> bay which green bay as we've seen like green bay is not a great team but they're definitely like competent um you oh, know yeah. the falcons and green bay I, i've I think are pretty similar teams. They've got a good defense with the offense. It's kind of finding itself. And then week nine at Atlanta. So can can we get this deal done before week nine? That would be my hope. So then we can get the deal at the revenge game. Uh, That'd be, that'd be perfect. Uh, But that, you know, that would be a cool one. That would be one that I I would enjoy. I would, I would like that trade for sure. Um, But Jordan, uh, appreciate your contributions today. Another great show here. Thanks for Uh, having me. Absolutely. Anything else, guys? Uh, he's at Big Seventy Five Fella on the Twitters. Let the people know about your other show, and uh, if you got any final takes, you can feel free to let them fly now. Um, yeah. So again, Clint Goss and I, the Falcon Fade Podcast, it's run by Stadium Rant. Uh, we always do a reaction show that'll be airing in Atlanta on Mondays. I think three to four. Um, also, we'll do a preview show that we usually do later in the week it gets out on saturday mornings getting ready for the falcons for playing coming up and other let's see other final notes final thoughts we're recording this on a monday uh so by the time it comes out on tuesday you know game two will already be done but can the atlanta braves please score some runs like i i i'm i'm begging of you now if the falcons didn't score more points than the braves did that that would have been a very <laughs> Very big problem, and we would have had a whole different conversation on the podcast today. Um, but like I said, Miles Robinson, and I love Miles Robinson, phenomenal defender for Atlanta United. He scored more goals than the Braves did runs this weekend against Columbus. That can't happen. Snit, put the yep. lineup back to what it's what it usually is. When when I see the lineup today, I want to see Acuna and then Albies and then Riley and Olsen and Ozuna and Murphy. And well, you get the rest of the point. I don't have to name the whole lineup. All right, yeah. let's get some runs up. Let's tie this up 1-1. Let's go to the bank, get at least one there. So wait, game five is back in the A. We move on to go play whomever else. I don't care who it is because I'm yep. going to pick the Braves anyway. But please, Braves, let's score some runs. 
that's my yeah. final thought. That that I like that. Yeah, no, that, go Braves. Uh, good good luck today. Uh, whenever and and you guys uh, go 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 crush it. You know we we believe we believe in you. Um, uh, here on this podcast, pro 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 yeah. Braves pro- podcast. But yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Also wanted to give a shout out to Bijan for that absurd catch. Uh, that I could watch that all day long. That is just the most insane. Like it's it's like he doesn't even think he's not even thinking about the ball. He's just like, yep, I I got it. You know, it's fine. It was um, literally the perfect time for the Allen Iverson comps because yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're crossing somebody the ball behind your back. Like yep. it, it was incredible. It's just, yeah. I mean, I I don't think people like you could you. They didn't throw it to him nearly enough in college, but you could see it. Like when he caught the ball, it was just yeah. he was such a natural receiver, like a catcher of the football. Um, Absolutely. He just like it, it was always beautiful how he caught it. It was always clean. Um, you know, obviously everyone drops when you get you drop the ball. Sometimes it happens, but um, we're seeing that absolutely play out. That he's. His catches have actually been like he's had some great runs. Don't get me wrong, but his catches have been almost as impressive. Just like, oop, yep, I can keep that. I don't even need the other hand. I'm going to use that to stiff arm this guy while I make this catch with my yeah. my one hand. Um, even one of the that best, final drive, I yeah. believe he had one on the on the left sideline. Mm-hmm. So again, this is not even. I believe he's right handed. So yeah. he's using his. He just sticks his left hand out. Okay, yep. here we go. Boom. He's fun. He's ambidextrous. He's very talented. Yeah, it's, he's so. insane. <laughs> but guys, uh, thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, another another big dub here on Falcons Trench Talk. Uh, you could follow me, Kevin Knight at Falcohol. Kevin, you can follow Jordan at Big Seventy Five Fella. Please like, subscribe if you haven't done so already. Leave that five star review on your podcast platform of choice. Check out the community Discord server in the comments. Uh, check out our Patreon if you want to help us out, support the show. Uh, the show was of course presented by Bet Online. Guys, we will be back on Wednesday night at eight PM for the next Falcoholic Live show. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We're kicking some guest ideas around. So f- as far as I know, mm. uh, Ad- Adnan hasn't gotten Matt Ryan yet. So we're very disappointed in him. <laughs> but uh, you know, well, someone tell Adnan to get that effing set already. Yeah, come on, come on, Adnan. You know, he, he, you had the you had the white whale right there, and, and you <laughs> yeah. just somehow didn't even get it done. So that's you know, unf- Adnan is just not pulling his weight. You know, he's he was the Falcons' offense. You know, the last couple of weeks, not the Falcons' offense mm. in week five. So, uh, mm. so come on, come on, buddy. No, but thanks to everyone for for tuning in today. We'll see you guys next time on the Falcoholic Live and Dirty Birds and Brews. Until next time, guys, have a great day.